Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Well, it's great to be with you in the house of the Lord. I'd ask that you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. This morning our passage is found in Matthew 28. Thank you, Ed. Verses 16 and 20. This is the word of the Lord. You can follow along on the screen behind me. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Father, I pray that your word today, this morning, will not fall on deaf ears. Father, help it uh, to prick our minds and our conscience. Father, may we be convicted by the word of God. Father, use me uh, to do so. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen. So this morning we're continuing our course that we've been looking at over the summer, um, studying the nature of the church um, and the church of Jesus Christ. We've talked about already why the church is necessary, what her role is, and how we as her members should embrace her. And this morning our passage in Matthew teaches us yet another vital work that the church engages in. That work is the work of outreach, spreading the good news of the gospel, looking out so that others can be brought in. It teaches us how the church and her members are to relate to those who are not yet a part of the family of God. The church is inclusive. It seeks to involve others. It seeks to convince doubters, to call the rebellious to repentance to show the love of Christ to the entire world. It's not an elitist society that looks down its nose at those who are not a part of it. The church is for anyone, and it's for everyone. All are welcome to join, and all are invited to be a part of this holy institution. This is the nature of the church, and this is to be the attitude of those who are part of the family of God. Our passage, you may know, is is known to us as the Great Commission. Christ's final admonition, his parting command to his disciples before he ascends up into heaven. And this commission is that they make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, and teach them to obey that every teach them to obey everything that Christ had commanded them. And the command of Christ in our passage sets the disciples' sights outward. They are told here to take what they've been given and now spread it to all the world, to all people. They've had their time with Christ. They sat at his feet. They witnessed his miracles. They were rebuked, and they were challenged by him. And all this brings them to this moment before he departs, this commission, this demand of their life, that they spread what's been given to them, that they look out into the field that is white for the harvest. These are powerful words spoken to the disciples, 
and an incredible amount of responsibility and trust are given here by Christ. We must understand that Christ ordained this to be the way that his church grows, spreads, and in time takes over the world. Now Christ could have chosen a million different ways for his gospel to be spread around the whole earth. The reality is that initially he chose these 11 men to begin the church. And these men were sinners, they had shortcomings, they had failures, and yet Christ entrust them with this great responsibility of spreading the gospel. He could have done it, again, a hundred different ways, millions of different ways. He could have had the gospel rain down from the clouds and fall on the earth. He could have had his legions of angels bring the message of the gospel to the ears of men. Rather, he's ordained, he's chosen that it will come by the hands of men. It comes by ordinary means. It spreads by the work of men. And this commission that Christ gives to the disciples in this passage is not just their commission. It's every bit our commission. Their responsibility is also our responsibility. This command is no less given to the disciples as it is given to us now. Christ expects that we too, like the disciples, spread the gospel, seek to win the world. We are the ones who are now entrusted to carry this message. We are the ones, again, responsible for its spreading and proclaiming. And the church of Jesus Christ is victorious. It has come and will continue to win the lost, to shelter the needy, to bring light into the darkness of the world. And we're called to embrace this mission, to make disciples of all men and to display to all the world the power of the cross. And again, I want to impress, we're not simply called... Uh, we're not simply, there's not a command here. It is a responsibility. We should all feel this sense of responsibility we have. And it's something that we cannot escape as Christians. And I'd like to pause here for a moment make the point that because of this responsibility, because this expectation exists from Christ that we will be a witness for the gospel, we don't have the option or the luxury to choose whether or not we're going to engage in the work doesn't matter if we think we are not gifted in the right ways to teach and make disciples, have others follow us, to lead others, or we feel we may lack maturity or age to do this. Christ expects that each one of us do this work. You and I are a witness of Jesus Christ. We are a witness. By claiming the name of Christ, by being members of the church, by choosing ourselves to be a disciple of Christ, we are forevermore serving as a continual 24-7 witness to the power, nature, and the person of Jesus Christ. Our life is now a testimony to the work of Christ. So we must consider not whether we are a witness, because we already are. Rather, we must consider what is the quality of our witness. What does our life and our actions speak about the power of God? How do the daily decisions that we make speak about the greatness of our God? Do our lives communicate to others that we fear the Lord above all? The world is watching, our neighbors, co-workers, children, everyone is watching us. They're already being influenced by our example. The question is, in which way are they being influenced? What about our lives speaks to them about the power of the gospel? You are a witness, and it's in the same way that you're a father, you're a mother, you're a brother, 
or you're a sister. You don't get to choose the responsibility. You're called to be faithful in the responsibility that God's given to you. So my question to you is, who are you discipling? Since you all, we all have this responsibility, who is it that you're now discipling? Who are you teaching to follow Jesus? Who are you leading? Now, obviously, you know, we're talking about the church this summer. You should immediately think of this work going on within this body right here, locally. And of course, this is where it is to be first and foremost. Those are young here. Those are new in the faith. There's older, more mature in the faith are to be leading them up. And yet, for the sake of our topic this morning, I'd like us to consider not those who we may be leading inside the church, although that should be happening, but who outside of this local body are we leading? Christ's intentions here in Matthew 28 are obviously for the disciples to go out to those who have never heard the good news, to go to those who are lost, who don't know the gospel, those who are not already a part of the family of God, So who are you seeking to win to Christ? How are you being intentional to bring others into the church? I hope you can think of some people and ways that you're already doing this. And my hope this morning is to to encourage you to continue in that work. And if you are not thinking of anyone right now, if there isn't any ways that you can see yourself doing this, I want to encourage you to begin the work. Remember, Jesus says that the fields are white for the harvest. What does this mean? Well, it means that there's plenty of work to do. There's plenty of opportunity. There is absolutely no risk of the fields being overrun with laborers. The work is plenty. And we don't need to look far to see those outside the church who need to be discipled. What I mean by we don't need to look far is that most likely there are far more opportunities right in front of you than you may even realize. As many of you know, Mackenzie and I uh, recently moved about a week ago, and one of the things that we've come to realize that we'll miss dearly about our old home are the neighbors. We had wonderful neighbors on either side of us. Uh, We got to know them well. They loved our children. They were involved in their lives, and they were really a joy to live by, um, kind and loving. And so there were a few times, we lived there about five years, there were a few times where Mackenzie and I had the opportunity to, to minister and love and have some connection with our neighbors. Um, One of those was a few years ago, our neighbor's son tragically died uh, at a pretty young age, and so we were able to go over there and share a meal, bring them a meal, um, and and encourage them, comfort them, and it was really a neat time um, for our relationship. And there were a few other times like that in our five years. However, I would say, now that I'm moved, I'm, I'm thinking about it more, I would say that over the five years, I didn't make hardly any effort to love, minister, share the gospel, disciple my neighbors. Um, Aside from these occasional times, I didn't seek to win them to Christ. I didn't go above and beyond and out of my way to love them. Except for, you know, occasional invite to our Christmas concert, Easter service. It wasn't my goal to have them in church. I didn't feel that responsibility. And I failed to realize the responsibility that I did have. Now, God convicted me of this recently through the faithfulness of Jacob Hodge. Um, Jacob Hodge was telling me recently about a new job he, had, he has taken. And he was telling me about this co-worker he works with, and it turns out to be my neighbor. 
And so Jacob's telling me about this conversation and what came up. He knew I worked for the church. He knew I, you know, that we were Christians and family. And so Jacob used this opportunity to invite him to church. Say, well, hey, why don't you come and see Jordan and Mackenzie at church? And as soon as he said that, I was filled with shame. Jacob had done in one conversation what I had failed to do in really five years. And I thank you, Jacob, for that and your faithfulness. And it was kind of a funny connection. I don't think Jacob's aware of that, but it convicted me. And I regret this. I regret my time in my old house, the way I didn't see my neighbors as an opportunity to witness to them. And aside even from knowing my neighbors to the immediate left and right, not much effort. I didn't make much effort to know the ones a few homes down, across the street, um, even three or four homes down. And not just get to know, but again, I didn't intentionally seek to disciple them, to share the word of God, to learn about their, their pains and their fears, to how I could help them. And I never had them over for a single meal. Never once. I never had them over once for dinner. And I failed in this. And one of my <laughs> commitments and through my conviction is in this new home to have my neighbors over. So I've already told my one neighbor we're going to have them for dinner. So it's out there. We've got to do it. Hon, put it on the calendar. <laughs> I set my sights too far out. Obviously, I work for a church. <laughs> God's calling me to a life of sharing the gospel, and yet I didn't see my neighbors as worthy recipients, if you will. I didn't look to them and think, I'm responsible to share with them this news. I didn't notice the people God had placed right in front of me. And the truth is, if we're not discipling well those that God's placed immediately around us, can we really do it well with those who are further out in other areas? So I'd encourage you, don't make the same mistake. Take the opportunities that God is already giving you. If you're not discipling anyone, don't look too far. Consider your neighbors. Now, there's other avenues this could be. It could be your coworkers. It could be your school friends. It could be a whole host of your grocery, grocery store clerk. Whatever it may be, don't look too far. Consider those that you interact with on a daily basis and consider the need you have to share the gospel with them. Cultivate the ground that God has placed you in. Bear the responsibility well that God has placed upon your shoulders. And the reality is, you know, this work takes time and it takes real effort and energy. As I found with my neighbors, it, it did not happen naturally in five years, and you all know how five years can go by just like that. And so at times, it really is not invest, natural to invest in others' lives. So it will take real effort and some strategy. It takes being hospitable. As I said, I never had my neighbors over for one meal. Have your neighbors into your home. Bring them in. There's other ways to do it. Help them with yard work. Get to know their kids. Allow your kids to hang out with them. There's a whole host of ways to make it happen, and you can be creative, but whatever ways you can find to, be involved. Be involved with the people that God's placed around you. Invite them over for dinner on the nights that you have one another over. You know, let them see how Christians interact with each other. Let them see what it looks like to be around people who love the Lord, that want to obey Him. 
how are we to be a faithful witness if no one ever sees or observes how we live, how we're different, in really an intimate way? Have them over during your family devotions. Now, that could be awkward. (laughs) Have them sit with you as you lead your kids. Have the neighborhood sit with you. Let them hear teaching from the Word of God. Let them see the ways that you love and discipline your children. Talk about the ways that you've seen God provide. Treat them no differently as you would treat and talk with one another here. Matthew 6, 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before all men. Light goes into the darkness. It penetrates the dark. It's active. It's brilliant. And how will the dark places of this world be illuminated if no light is present, if no light goes and is there? It's incumbent upon us to bring the light into the lives of those who are in darkness. And we need to make these sorts of opportunities where we engage with non-believers so that they see the light of Christ. And notice, I just read Matthew 6.16. It says that, so they see your good works and will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Others glorify God, even non-believers, non-Christians, those outside of the church, when they see our good works. It will bring glory to God. They will glorify God. This is what happens when light meets darkness. It's powerful, right? And we should expect this. This is the way our God works. He always works with power. When we step out in faith and take the responsibility, act in it, and God has called us then to be a faithful witness. So what a great way to be a witness around us. Expect that God will be, bring fruit from these relationships. And the opposite, again, is true as well. <laughs> if we expect to bear fruit, how are we to expect to bear fruit if we live isolated lives and we never cross paths and interact with those who desperately need the light of Christ? Again, I I know at times it's unnatural, it's uncomfortable. We have certain things we're used to, certain people we like to hang out with. But at the end of the day, there is no escaping our responsibility in this manner, to be lights to all the world. It's understood we are to do this, and yet at times, if we're honest, there is real difficulty and failure as we pursue being a faithful witness. In our passage, back in Matthew 28, notice the failure present in the disciples. Verse 17 tells us, It says that they were worshiping Christ, but some were doubtful. They were worshiping Christ, some were doubtful. Why did the disciples doubt? Did they doubt that Jesus was physically present with them? That he was, maybe they doubted he was the real risen Savior, that he was the true Messiah? Could have been the fact that maybe they didn't feel adequate enough for the calling that Christ had given them. Or they felt shame because they remembered back to when they denied him at the cross. Or maybe the weight of the world's contempt was getting to them. Maybe the stony looks from their family members. Or the annoyed friends who thought them to be far too radical. A whole host of reasons could be possible. Either way, they were doubtful. They hesitated. In a sense, they stood back on their heels. They were not fully convinced of their Savior's power yet. And this held them back. Their fears, their worries held them back from completing the mission that Christ 
had given to them. And many of the same doubts that the disciples dealt with, so also do we deal with. We, like the disciples, love and worship Jesus as our Savior, and yet this does not mean that we do not struggle at times with real doubts that truly influence our behavior, that cause us to maybe second-guess our obedience to Christ. And doubt only further feeds our fears in unfruitful ways. Doubt can cause and does cause our witness to be marred. It will hinder our light from shining before all men. It will cause us to look inward and fail to look outward. If we are to be a faithful witness for Christ, we, we cannot let fear drive us. We cannot let it have a grip on our life. We cannot let ourselves think for a moment that God is not with us as we engage in this work. That he will not supply the words and the courage needed. He will. We cannot fear our classmates or teachers, those who may hate us for our commitment to God's word, even the, even the ways that our own family may grow to dislike us. And this always happens and can happen when we speak openly about the decrees of God. We are inhibited from being faithful witnesses when we doubt God's power to work. This can be evident in all areas of our life, and especially in this area of our commitment to discipling. Now, right in our passage, Jesus does address the doubts of the disciples. In the next verse, verse 18, he responds to their doubts by saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So what does Jesus Christ's authority have to do with our fear and doubt. Well, quick story to illustrate it. About a year ago, Andrew Van Agen gave myself, Nathan, Isaiah Bailey, and Parker tickets to the Trump rally at uh, the Swanton Airport. And so we, uh, we wanted to go see Andrew in action. And so we went out there. It was out, at, again, at the Toledo, Inter uh, Toledo Airport. We got there around uh, maybe 3 or 4 o'clock. The event was supposed to start at 7 and when we got there off Airport Highway, there was a crowd, a line of people, miles and miles and miles. You could not see the end of it. And so we're thinking, oh, man, we're not getting into this thing. And so we go, we hop in line, and we're uh, sort of talking and overhearing others around us talking about how long they'd been there. And some had been there the night before, you know, for four, eight, 12 hours camping out trying to get into this event. And we're thinking, Wow. Wow. And shortly after we got there, I get a call from Andrew, and he says, hey, where, you're at? where are you at? And I said, oh, we're, you know, here standing in line. And he goes, all right, I'm coming to get you. And he hangs up. So we wait there a few minutes, and all of a sudden Andrew comes up. You know, the, he works for the Secret Service, so he's got this, the dark shades, the nice suit, and the earpiece, and he's walking briskly along. Everyone's getting out of his way. And um, he comes up to us where we're standing in line. He points at our group, and he says, you four, come with me. That's all he said. <laughs> and now everyone's looking at us like, are we in trouble? Are we getting arrested? He lifts up the temporary gate. He lets us come through, and everyone is just staring at us. Remember, they had been here 8, 12 hours. We showed up. A few minutes, we got in. And so we, he lets us through, and we start following Andrew through this event. He takes us through security which we briskly get through because Andrew is <laughs> telling them to. And we're the first ones out on the tarmac for this event. It was pretty cool. And as this is going on, as Andrew comes up and grabs us and we start walking, you know, we all start kind of, you know, walking a little higher, 
putting our chests out, walking a little straighter, you know, looking around, waving, you know. You know, and so Andrew getting us, I felt like I had, you know, I felt like the man there. I felt like I could do anything. And in reality, I, I couldn't. I would have gotten tackled by him. Um, Andrew had authority of the event. He was over all the security. When we got there, we shared and participated in that authority. We were beneficiaries of it. It brought about a real confidence in me, although there was nothing to that confidence. There was no reason, nothing in and of myself where I should have been confident, other than I was trying to keep up and walk behind Andrew. That was the only thing. And this is the true nature of true authority. It brings confidence. It brings about a real security and an assurance. It doesn't need to prove anything. It stands on its own behalf. Even associated with a great authority brings confidence. And even in a worldly sense, worldly authority brings about confidence. And if this is true with worldly authority, how much truer is it with the authority of Jesus Christ? Jesus responds to the doubts of the disciples by speaking about his all-encompassing authority. Jesus responds to our doubts in this passage by reassuring us of his authority. He's over all things. Christ extends his authority to all corners of the globe. Nothing happens out of his, out of his sovereign will and control. He's the one holding the book of life. The angels are his instruments. The nations of this world are at his beckoning. Nothing. No one can escape his authority in any area of their lives. And so knowing Christ's authority, knowing that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, should give you and I confidence as we seek to stand as faithful witnesses. Jesus assures us because he has authority. And you and I also should operate as someone with real authority. Not because, again, we have anything in and of ourselves, but because of what Christ has given to us. Because we are associated to him, we do have authority. You are associated with him. I am. We are doing his work. You have his blessing and his command in Matthew 28 to go. Go and make disciples. And why? Because, again, Jesus has all authority. And he has given that authority to us. He has given us a part of it, and it really is what should drive our witness, what should drive us to be faithful. And because of this authority, all the more, we must go. Jesus says to you, go. This is a command. Go make disciples. Again, this is that responsibility. We can't escape it. It's a command of our Lord Jesus Christ to go. Bring others into the church. Teach them to obey God. And again, do so with the authority that Christ has given. Do not doubt the power of God to work in all lives, to call those who you share the gospel with, to soften the hearts of those you're seeking and would like to reach. We need to be confident in the reality of Christ's authority and truly allow it to transform our lives, to alter the way that we talk with others about the gospel. This authority should propel us to engage with everyone around us, to expect that God will work through every and any conversation that we have, that God will use us to call people. 
So I'd encourage you, make this the commitment of your life. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. And we are all responsible for this call to make, to, to, excuse me, to participate in this work. And this is really at the heart of disciple-making, at winning those over to Christ, at teaching others to obey Jesus and love him, that we understand the authority that we've been given by Christ, and we stop doubting God's power to work in miraculous ways. And like I said earlier, we need to remember this command, this go make disciples is a command from Jesus Christ. And like all commands in Scripture, we can look at this command and boil it down to uh, two categories or components, right? And this comes from Jesus, that we, the, the sum of the Ten Commandments are that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we also love our neighbor as ourselves. And that is the whole law of God. And so in this command, we can see both those components. This is the essence of the law, and this is what is produced when we obey them. And these love for God and love for other men is what we should aim for as we seek to obey God. So love, love for God and love for others is the call we must embrace if we are to make disciples, if we are to be indeed faithful witnesses. Scripture tells, that, tells us that if we love God, we keep his commands. Love for God is obedience to him. As we obey God, we are in fact serving as faithful witnesses. Obedience to God is essential for our witness to be effective. We can speak of the things of God all day and night, and yet if there's no difference in our life that others can see around us, we're a hypocrite. And really, our example will lead others astray. For the youth that were on the mission trip, we talked about this a few times, about witnessing and sharing uh, the Word of God and things of God in school. And one of the things that came up repeatedly was the fact that it doesn't matter, in one sense, how much you talk about God, invite others to church, to youth group, uh, tell them to stop taking the Lord's name in vain, whatever you may say, if at the other 90% of your time at school is participating in crude joking, part of uh, unwholesome group chats, mocking the authorities God has placed you under, all of these things speak a lot and probably much more than your words to the other students that you are around. We need to remember that others are listening to our words and watching our actions. It's a both and. We need to do both. And if they don't align, we're not going to fool a single person. So I want to impress upon you, especially those of you who are young, the importance of living consistently in what you say and do. We really have no credibility, no weight with anyone if we're hypocrites. And maybe this is the reason you haven't been as open about your faith. It might be because you do sense this hypocrisy in your life. And if that's the case, repent. Don't let your hypocrisy stop you. Stop being a hypocrite. Confess that you love the Lord and obey Him. Do both. Flee from immorality. Flee from sin. And this is important in our witness. A part of fighting our hypocrisy is being open about our sins. And it's always uncomfortable to admit sin. 
to admit and to confess it. And if you're like me, it's especially uncomfortable when you do this with those who aren't a part of the church, who aren't Christians, who aren't maybe used to that practice. I don't know if you've ever done this, asked for forgiveness from a non-believer, but you can kind of get some weird looks. Um, and you may think that, you know, others knowing your sin, those who aren't in the church, might cause them to distance themselves from you and God. It might cause them to think, oh, ill of you. And really, nothing could be further from the truth. What will push those around us who aren't following the Lord away is the person that lives a life above everyone else or thinks they can live a life and appear to live a life above everyone else. The person who acts and has no faults and no weaknesses and no sins. Now look, those around you already know your sin. You don't need to have the Bible. You don't need to have certain things in the church. Is a special, there's a general revelation to all men. We understand sin. We understand wrongdoing. And so don't ignore this reality with those around you who don't follow the Lord. Acknowledge it. Talk about your sin with them. You know, again, when's the last time, if ever, that you asked a non-believer for forgiveness? Certainly, we've sinned against those outside of this room. Yes? So ask for forgiveness. Treat them no differently. Think about the impact you would have. Think about what you might teach them if you acknowledge your sin and ask for their forgiveness. What would this say about our own understanding of sin, our humility? And even more, the understanding that there is a need for forgiveness. So fight your hypocrisy in this way. Ask for forgiveness. Do what you say. We must have a love for God and a desire to obey Him first and foremost if we're going to be faithful witnesses. And from a deeper love of God, we'll better love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, there's a hundred ways we could look at this and make application, and they're all great, um, loving your neighbor as yourself. Today, I want to keep it simple and just take it in its most literal sense. I've already shared with you my story about my neighbors, so I want to encourage you today, if you're like me, love your neighbors, those who live next to you. It can be easy, again, to miss these opportunities God has placed around you. But again, don't underestimate the impact you can have if you seek the betterment to love those who are around you. Be hospitable. I want to keep stressing this point because I, it's so crucial to us loving those as God has called us to, that we have others into our home. There's other ways, too. You can help shovel a driveway, rake leaves, um, whatever you need to do to get involved with them. Take up a hobby they like. Get into their hobby. Whatever we can do to let our light shine in, all of our, in, in their life and before all men. And trust that God will use these relationships. Again, remember, Jesus has all authority. Jesus has the book of life. He's calling all men to repentance, and we are to take this message. Now, some of you might be thinking... Um, <laughs> Well, you don't know my neighbor, <laughs> and I've certainly had run-ins. I think I got off to a bad foot with one of my neighbors when I was snowblowing and blew ice chunks into his garage, so we never really rekindled any warm feelings. But um, <laughs> if you have neighbors and this, you're, you're thinking, oh, this is, uh, I don't know if I can do this, well, um, you know, if you live next to someone who's slightly less than joyful, um, 
remember, you know, to love them. And remember that unhappiness, anger, and life is most always probably a facade for a deeper hurt and pain they've experienced in life. And really, at the end of the day, it's a deep need to be saved, to be forgiven, to experience the love of Christ. And this is all the more reason to share with these neighbors especially what God has given to us. And so engage in this work with, in any way possible and with everyone. Make it a daily goal to serve as a witness and let your, let your light shine before men. Now in closing, I'd like to turn and talk about one of the particular ways that our church, Christ the Word Church, one of the goals we have is to plant other churches. Now this goal stems from this desire to be a faithful witness in our area as a church, to see more souls won for Christ, and see really the Toledo area be a Christian uh, city. And not, not much known is known about the specifics of this uh, goal or what it will look like or when or where, um, but we trust that God will bless this commitment that we have and we expect to see our efforts used in mighty ways. Uh, really, the influence of this church should not be contained within this building, within this body alone. We want to see other churches like this one that worship God in and throughout all of the Toledo area and beyond. And so this is a goal that really, if the church, if this is going to happen, we all must be committed to it. You know, this really can't be the commitment of the elders and the pastors. It has to be the commitment of each one of you in here. And although much of the work is still ahead and there's plenty of planning to do, I want to say there's plenty to do right now. We can still live this way right now. And really, we cannot expect that we're going to reach the lost in the future if we're not pushing ourselves to reach the lost right now. We must be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ here and now. We must be seeking to disciple those around us. We need to have it on the forefront of our minds that the kingdom of God is near and that all men are, in fact, being called to repentance. So I would invite you and challenge you to own this mission of the church. And what that means is not that you be necessarily a part of the programs. It's that you individually commit to this work, that you commit to discipling others, to winning those for Christ. I will say, though, there are a whole host of events that the church staff, the elders, the pastors put on so that we can assist you all in thinking in this way. And I'd like to point a few of them out coming up. I'm going to go into announcement mode, so bear with me. Parker already mentioned Awana. Awana's coming up, but there's a whole host of other things starting in September. Bible, men's and women's Bible studies, mom to mom, all of these are launching, and these are great tools. We want these to be used as um, touch points with those you're ministering to now, maybe, or those you've thought about inviting. Invite them to these things. On October 9th, we have our men's conference. Again, this is something we want to see men outside of the church come into. October 23rd, Trunk or Treat. This is a great event. We had a great turnout last year. Use this. And then at the end of the year, there's more in here, but just to highlight a few, at the end of the year, we have our Christmas concert, December 10th and 11th. And so, again, one of our hopes with these events is that you each are encouraged and strengthened by them, but really, we want these events to be for, feel welcoming for those who are outside of our body. We want them to come in. We want them to experience the love of Christ. We want to have 
opportunities to share the gospel with them, for them to hear the word of God be preached. And really, so that as a church, we practice hospitality. We are to do it in our homes, but we are to do it together. And the reality is that these events and our ability to reach the community as a church lives and dies by the commitment of each one of you to this mission and goal. A personal invite to one of these events is far more preferable than hearing about it on Facebook. It's far more personable. And there's all sorts of numbers and stats about why that's more effective, but I think we understand that one-on-one personal connections and invites are very effective. And really, consider how many of you here are here today because someone gave you an invite to mom to mom, maybe a Bible study, to a small group. We've already seen the impact and fruit of it in our body, and so let's seek more. Let's trust that God will continue to work. So I'd encourage you with these upcoming events, use them as conversation launch points with people for furthering relationships that you may already have or for kickstarting a new relationship with an acquaintance. And really, if these are truly going to be events that we can use as a body together to reach our community, each of us must be committed to this work. So think about who you can, and please do invite others to these events. I know I'll be doing that. And again, to, to finally close, these events are just a few ways that we can and should be a faithful witness. In the end, though, we must own the responsibility that God has given to us. Our light is to shine before all men. And we should expect that God will do mighty things through faithful, simple obedience and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I ask that we will own the work that you've given to us, Father, that we will follow the map chartered by the disciples. Father, help us to not fear, Lord, to not allow our doubts to control our actions, our behavior, our obedience to you, Lord. May we be faithful in all that we do. May we flee hypocrisy, Father. Help us not to say one thing and do another. Lord, we pray and ask all this in your name. Amen.